You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can get to. I wish I could have kept our last guest longer. If you didn't hear the show, you got to go back. Elizabeth Shalom. So much information, virtual dating, so with the program for anybody who's out there on the dating scene, interested in the dating scene, wants to get involved. Um, she's really fantastic. She just gets it, and it was great. And it's really a perfect lead-in to this week's Torah portion, which will also become the perfect next lead-in to uh, school. I started school today. I was back in class. It was amazing. It was so good to be back. But we're going to leave that for a little later in the show. I want to get our first part of the Torah portion, and then we'll, we'll get right into what's happening in school and what parents should be doing and how they can help their children and, and what children should expect, what the parents should expect. We're going we're gonna to get into a lot of that. But first things first. Um, we're getting towards the end of the fifth book of Deuteronomy. It's the Torah portion of Kiseitzeh. And it starts out when, when you go out to war. So in those days, the, um, when you would go out to war, obviously, um, the other side would do anything to take your mind off the battle, and they would have very pretty women um, out there trying, I guess, to entice the soldiers coming. I'm sure there could be numerous reasons why that was done. And the rule in war is that if you capture any of those women, you could take them home. You could marry them. You could, and they have no choice, by the way, and you can force them to convert. So, the, so there's a lot of questions of what's going on or what's happening over there. Um, and there's arguments amongst the different rabbis. Um, can, you, can you actually sleep with her on the field? Do you have to first take her home? And you take her home, and, and she has to take off her pretty clothes, and she, and she has to become disheveled and grow her hair and her fingernails. And all this to, uh, to allow the guy's Jewish wife to show her husband, you want to hang out with me, you don't want to bring in the second lady into the house. However, if the, if the warrior, the soldier, still wants to keep this second wife, he's allowed, she becomes Jewish, and for the most part, end of story. However, it is quite fascinating. Um, she's called the Eishas Yifas Toar. That means the pretty wife. But historically, the, where we find, whenever we find a, a troublesome child, um, a lot of times it seems that the mother was this Yifas Toar, King David, David Melch. He um, took a Yifas Toar from battle, and the son that was born was Avshalom. He's the one that, uh, that rebelled against his father, and his father was on the run, and he took over the kingdom for a year or two, and eventually he was killed. He also had a sister that was from that marriage. It leads to problems. It leads to difficulties. It, uh, 
It's not what the Torah would like you to do. However, what's fascinating is the Torah understood what it means to go to battle. In other words, if you could kill someone, if you could be in battle, and which is you know the problem in, in any any soldier that comes back, if you could kill someone, which is you know in most people's mind that's like the worst crime you can commit. So where's everything else? I just killed a whole bunch of people. So why can't I do whatever else I want? So for those kinds of people, because that happens, the Torah understands this happens. So therefore, we're going to allow things that normally we would never allow. The Torah doesn't allow somebody to just go kidnap a lady and take her home and say, I'm marrying you. That's ridiculous. Even though that's what this is, if you think about it, right? It's really it's really right along the same lines. But the Torah understands that the soldier is is his mind is working totally different on the battlefield. So the Torah had to make a different set of rules for him. At the same time, the Torah does set it up. You take her home, and she has to wait a month, and you have to decide, give you a chance to cool down, see if it's really worth it. All that's taken into account. So what happens is that this, they're called two wives. The person has the next, Torah, the next part in the Torah talks about the wife you love, the wife you hate, a child from the wife you love, a child from the wife you hate, talks about inheritance rules and regulations, and um, it's 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 just fascinating that that the Torah is telling you that you're gonna hate this wife. We're giving you permission to marry her. You're gonna hate her. You're gonna have a child that's gonna have all kinds of problems. That's the Ben Sarimor, which we're gonna lead up into, which we're gonna talk about soon. And 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 as the Torah is telling you the history, this is what's gonna happen. If you do A, it's gonna lead to B, gonna lead to C. You're going to take her home. You're going to end up hating her. You're going to have to give the inheritance to that her first child because that's the oldest child in the story. That child could become what's called a Ben Sorimora. It just lead one thing leads on to the next. Now, the Ben Sorimora is really wanna, where I want to spend my time, but I want to get into it after we talk about school. The Ben Sorimora is a child who is considered the rebellious child. And what we're going to talk about later is this rebellious child, uh, it's to a certain extent the Torah is saying that it's the parent's fault. In other words, the parent is required to educate the child and teach the child and not, we'll see how we do this, and not allow that child to become rebellious. But the Torah is telling us that we as parents are responsible to educate our children. We're also going to see that the parent is responsible to serve God first. And if the child understands that the parent is serving God first, that will help this child. And I know I'm not being specific yet, but we're going to get there. So let's talk children. Let's talk children. So we know we're still, we're talking about with uh, Lisa before, we're still all in different levels of quarantine. Again, Michigan seems to be better than other states. Um, the area I live in seems to be pretty good. Uh, corona really, you know, went through our neighborhoods, um, Passover time, like for, at the really beginning when everything was happening. For the most part, maybe our strain was, was lighter. Um, very few hospitalizations, certainly very few deaths happening from it, not like what was happening in New York and on the East Coast and stuff. And... Um, because of that, I told you, you know, I had children who came back from Israel because they couldn't stay in Israel uh, because of what the quarantine was going to entail. So they came home. So my son, who was learning in Israel, actually was allowed to go back. 
That was fascinating. I somehow on LinkedIn, I got a video of him studying, of him learning with his friends. What they did was, at least this school, they they rented a campus. I don't know what the campus is. My son says he doesn't know how many buildings because he's in quarantine. And first, just to go get on the plane, you needed your Israeli um, entry permit. To get the permit, you had to fill out uh, all kinds of paperwork. and had to, We happened to have a visa because he'd come back, so his visa was still good. You have to have a visa and show you have a valid passport, and you have to show that you have a place to be quarantined, which the school took care of, but we had to have that information. And it, it took about two weeks of just the back and forth from the school. They told me what I needed. I filled it out. They needed money for, the, for where he was being quarantined. They, they actually took a security deposit to make sure that if he doesn't follow the rules and regulations, they'll cast a check and put him on a plane home. They're very, very strict. So what happens is they get off the plane. They're picked up by a car service. Someone has already been hired to pick those children up, drive them to the campus. They go into their room, and there's four boys in the room. It's called a pod. Now, once you're in that pod, you don't have to have masks. All right, people saw, and they wondered, oh, how come no masks, not six feet apart? They don't have to be six feet apart. They don't have to have masks. They are a pod. The room is tiny. There's two bunk beds. There's room for maybe two little tables. Um, I don't think they have cabinets. They have a porch. My son said it's broiling hot. They're near the um, Dead Sea. And the boys study with each other during the day. They take turns studying with different study partners. They're going to be there for two weeks. They're going to be there for two weeks. And um, afterwards, when they're all tested, hopefully, God willing, they'll all be found to be clean. Not clean. They'll all be negative from having the, uh, the virus. They'll be able to go back to school, and they'll be quarantined in their neighborhood. It's really amazing. And uh, my son's a trooper. The boys are, are dealing with it. Again, it's hard. You can't leave your room. They deliver food to you. Uh, they take food from your room. Uh, I'm sorry, they take your clothes from your room to, um, to uh, do laundry. Um, lectures, they can be on the porch, and then there'll be mics set up. They can hear the lectures from the porch, or they can listen to the telephone uh, and be in their room because it is hot there. There's no air conditioning on the porch, obviously. So, yeah, my son, I, I, he must be doing fine because he doesn't call too often. So when I called two days in a row last week, he says, what do you call me a second time for? You only get once a week. I said, oh, things must be good. So I'll find out tomorrow how, how the real first week went. So we're talking children, we're talking quarantine, and that's good for older boys who can quarantine. But what do we do with our school-age children? So I, I know this, is a, this has been going on all across the country. Our school's opening, our school's not opening. I can tell you from being in my classroom today that any of those schools that are not working on a path to get those children into the classroom, they're just doing a disservice to the children. How we need to take care of the, the parents and the, the spread and the, and the grandparents, it's a good question, and it has to be dealt with. But you cannot imagine, first of all, how excited the children were to be in a classroom. They haven't been in a classroom. Today was a real class. Now, today we'll talk about what happened in my day. We had to, to just get them into the mode of being in a classroom, of, of having the right materials, of learning how to put pen to paper, of where you write the answer. It was amazing. They've, they've lost so much of, 
uh, from being out of a classroom. It's it's amazing. And it's about six months. And we did um, start to talk to the children, make sure if there's those children that there's things that make them nervous or they're concerned or family issues, either they'll come to the teacher, that's me, we'll send them to uh, one of the administrators who's a social worker, or we'll bring in other social workers if we need more. We know that the children live through things and they get nervous because the parents talk and the children don't understand. That's a, an issue all on its own. But first things first, people have to be very open with their children. You must let them know what's going on. If you think they don't get vibes from you, they get the vibes. The problem is they're not mature enough to understand what's going on. You must be clear and talk to your children. That's first and foremost. But these children who have not been in class for months, we're talking six months, so you, you give a child a regular worksheet, you cannot expect that child to just do the whole sheet. Now, did I have two or three boys after I taught the lesson that could get through the worksheet? Of course I did. But that's 10%, 15%. They, 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 can't, they, they don't know what to do. They're not comfortable. They, okay, so I put the answer here on this line. Okay, so how do I find the answer? So where do I get the information? So much stuff is going on. We have to do everything very, like, I don't want to say the word slow, but we have to give a lot of clear instructions and again and again and instruct them again. You have children that there are children that have certain, uh, whether it's behavioral issues or social issues, they, they've been out of class. They don't even remember what it's like to be in a classroom. I spoke to a parent last night. I said, what do I do for your child when he has difficulty? She gave me an idea. I used it three times on the child today. I had to put him in a timeout, let him read a book. Not punishing. He, he's just not ready to be in class. So I give him a few minutes in timeout. I go back to the child and I say, do you know what was wrong? Do you know it was unacceptable? And he didn't know. And I believe him. He really did not understand what was going on. So I explained to him, you can't do this because of this. can't do this because this. I'm going to do a lot of explaining, Tim. And even the children in class, I'm, I'm telling them things that normally they would be expected to do. We prayed today, regular prayers. I, I, I didn't hear a word. Like, normally they read out loud, they sing, they're, they're loud, they're all together. Here they were all like quiet, like mice, because they're just out of sorts. They're, they're, they're not with the program. So the first thing that as parents, teachers, hopefully know on their own, but your child is not used to school. So it's very good for the parent. You got your kid out of the house all day. You can get back to work. It's beautiful. It's important. But your child's not ready for school. They need time to get back. They don't just go back and three days later, everything is fine. You got to give them a chance. They cannot be expected to be the same child they were when you took them out of school six months ago. It's impossible. I don't care about the Zooms. Most people have already agreed the Zoom is silly. The only people who think Zoom is good is maybe the administrators. The teachers know it doesn't work. The parents know it doesn't work, I hope. And uh, the children can pretend whatever they want. But, for again, I'm talking about younger children, but I can't imagine older children is that much better. So as parents, we need to understand our children could be nervous, they have a right to be nervous. Our children will not hold on to the new information. They're going to need help. Hopefully, the schools the will be allowed to let the children take it slow. Because if you expect 
your last year second grader who's now going to third grade or third grader going to fourth grade, if you think that they started this year the way a, a, a regular child will end the year from the year before, and I, I see right away that the, this is not the second graders that I'm used to coming into my classroom. How far behind? We're really not sure. I asked questions today, and uh, I did not get the responses that I'm used to getting. They're, whether they're forgetting more, whether they're not comfortable, some of them are getting more used to it, some of them are getting more into it, but it's going to be a process. So as parents, we must allow our children time. We must have patience because they don't know something. They'll come home. They won't understand the material. I'm sure I expect the next uh, probably week or so, homework will come home. The child will say, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. Teacher didn't teach it. They're going to be frustrated. So it's not fair if we get frustrated, especially when we don't know how to do the work. We can't be frustrated. We have to help them. We have to talk to the teachers. We have to talk to the children. We have to tell the children that we understand that you are frustrated and it's impossible for you to, to get everything the way it was. And we're okay with that. You're allowed to tell your child that I know you're frustrated. We're going to try to do this work. Um, it's okay if you don't get it. And we love you anyways. Like, it's got to be because it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing this from children who just lost six months. From my first day back, I don't know how long it will take. I actually created worksheets, right? Took worksheets from somebody uh, that would normally be second grade work, but I need them to do it. It's a little different, but I'm going to give it to them just to get back into writing and certain reading and certain uh, font recognition, stuff that would be usually easy as apple pie coming into third grade. They missed it. We, 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 we got to catch them up. So how long will it take? No one could say. That's uh, I'm sure there's all kinds of researchers out there. They love this research stuff because they get all this information. But, but just imagine if that's what I'm seeing from children that lost six months, two of which were the summer. Just imagine for those school districts that are closing down schools and they're going to go another six months or another year. You, you can't imagine what these children will lose. And you're not putting them back a grade. Like, who are we fooling? So on that, it's, it's important. And again, if it was up to me, all the schools have to open up. How they open up? Okay, we have to work things out, spread out, and masks if they have to. And depends on the state. They're in the hallway or when they go outside. The kids are working, walking around with masks in the hallway. I'm wearing a shield in class. It's stuff we have to do. So this really boils back to the Ben Sorimore. What happens? So Ben Sorimore, and then it'll bring us full circle. Ben Zaramore is a child who is 13 years old. Only a boy, by the way, even though that's also debatable if it could be with a girl, but it seems it's only a boy. Um, so it's a boy who's 13 years old, um, and he's a glutton. He eats a lot of raw meat or barely cooked meat and drinks a lot of wine. It doesn't say he did a lot of other sins. He may be, but that's not where it's coming from. Um, he steals from his parents. Um, and the parents warn the child that if you're going to continue this way, we have to bring you to court, and the court's going to give you lashes. And if you continue more, the court's going to execute you, which is amazing, right? You're executing a child for just being gluttonous. Amazing. 
and the parents warn him, and they'll bring him to court, and the, the court will give lashes, and then the kid will continue to do it, and the parents will bring him back to court, and then the court will execute him. So all the rabbis discussed it. It's very difficult. They all discussed, did it ever really happen? Could it ever really happen? Because in truth, um, if the parents choose not to bring the child to court, the child will be executed. So which parent is bringing this child when the parents know that the child will get executed when they bring the child back the second time? So on that itself, it would almost seem that um, that it would be impossible to happen. So this is where we talk about education. In other words, the Torah understands that what parent in their right mind would bring their child to court to get executed. But the fact that the Torah tells the parent, this is what you have to do, so you could look at it in one extreme and say, it's like the buying of Isaac. Sometimes the Torah wants a sacrifice. You could look at it that way, and there are those that do. Or you can look at it and tell the parents, look, you are responsible for this child. You're responsible to warn him, he'll get lashes. You're responsible to warn him, he'll get executed. As we're trying to tell the parents, we, the Torah is telling the parents, you are responsible for your child. You are responsible to educate your child. You don't get to have the children and let them roam the streets and say, well, you know, they'll figure it out. That is part of a parent's responsibility. The fact that the Torah puts it in the parents' hands, that the parents could actually have the child executed because the child wasn't raised properly, um, is something that the Torah wants the parents to clearly see. Now, again, this is debatable in the Talmud. Most seem to feel that it never happened. There's a story somebody said that uh, it actually did happen. How could it happen? How could there be such a parent? Very hard to understand. Very hard. But that is this concept called the Ben Sorer Mora, which means this, this, we call it rebellious child. He turns, he rebels. And uh, that's really the beginning of this week's um, Torah portion. Happens to be this week's Torah portion is full, full of, of commands. Because, again, we're, we're in the review. Moses is getting his last reviews in, even though it would seem that all the commands that we've been talking about are not really review. For the most part, they haven't been discussed at all anywhere else in the Torah. But overall, this Torah portion is like chock full of stuff, which we can never get through all of them. But uh, there's returning lost objects happens to be in this week's Torah portion, which again is a concept that the Torah says we don't believe in finders, keepers, losers, weepers. That's not a Torah concept. Torah concept is if it doesn't belong to you, you return it. There was a famous Rabbi Feinstein that uh, when asked what the children should learn, what the first piece of Talmud they should learn. And he said the reason why it was customary that children, usually fifth grade age, would learn about the about returning lost object is there's what to be said when a child hears over and over and over and over again, if it's not yours, you got to return it. I mean, just imagine what we're teaching the child. So I see my time is flying, and my time is almost up. I actually left my class with a beautiful story today. 
Somebody said, every story I tell over is, is true. It may not have happened yet, but they're all true. So there's a wise teacher once who brought balloons to school and told her pupils to blow them up and write their name on one balloon. After the children tossed the balloons into the hall, the teacher went around the hallway mixing all the balloons up. And uh, then the teacher said, okay, I'm giving everybody, I don't know, a minute or a minute and a half, find your balloon. And there's chaos and running and back and forth. And almost all of them were not successful in finding their balloon. Okay, makes sense. Then the teacher told them, okay, now what I want you to do is take the balloon closest to you and give it to the person whose name is on it. In less than two minutes, everyone was holding their balloon. So think about it. So the teacher said to the children, these balloons are like happiness. We won't find it when we're searching on our own. But if we care about somebody else's happiness, it'll ultimately help us find our own. In other words, if I can't find it on my own, but if I'll help you, it's amazing how much faster things will get done. And here already comes my music. It's unbelievable how time flies. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to wonderful sponsors and producers and listeners. You know I can't do it without you. Thank you to my production team. We have Dave behind the glass. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. Oh.